Welcome to Great Stories in American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about William Penn's Holy Experiment. According to historian Samuel Eliot Morrison, the founding of Pennsylvania, more so than any other American commonwealth, is the lengthened shadow of one man and of his faith in God and human nature. That man was William Penn. Admiral Sir William Penn and Margaret Jasper Penn celebrated the birth of their son William in London on October 14, 1644. Born to privilege and rank, young William studied law and managed his father's vast properties in Ireland. He converted to the Society of Friends, the Quakers, in his twenties under the influence of Thomas Lowe, a famous preacher. The authorities sent Penn to prison twice, including a stay in the Tower of London, because his outspoken beliefs conflicted with England's religious establishment. The Church of England was determined to crush Quakerism, which insisted that all people were equal and that they should not be forced to worship in any prescribed way. In spite of dismal conditions, Penn spent his imprisonments productively, writing treatises such as The Great Cause of Liberty of Conscience that made a case for religious tolerance. He also wrote his best-known book, No Cross, No Crown, while in prison. In 1677, Penn went to America with a famous Quaker, George Fox. While there, he wrote a charter for Quaker colonists in New Jersey, called the Concessions and Agreements. The charter advocated such rights as trial by jury and freedom from arbitrary imprisonment for debt, foreshadowing the Declaration of Independence. It also limited the use of capital punishment to cases of treason and murder. The charter's most innovative clause was the one which advocated religious freedom. Penn believed no power or authority could rightly rule over a person's conscience in religious matters. Even in America, the Quakers had run into problems when severe laws were passed against them. It is understandable, therefore, that Penn came to believe so fervently in the freedom to worship God in one's own way. A decade later, in 1681, the government of King Charles II, which was more favorable to Quakers, gave Penn a 45,000-acre land grant in the New World to fulfill a debt to his father. This made Penn England's largest landholder after the king. William traveled to his new colony in 1682 with several friends, to establish what he would call Pennsylvania in honor of his father. He had suggested New Wales and Sylvania, fearing people would think he had named the area after himself and not his father, but the king's wish for the name Pennsylvania prevailed. Like the Puritans before him, Penn desired to organize a godly and upright society to inspire all the world. One historian has said, Penn planned to give his fellow zealots, under shelter of himself as proprietor, 
a widely tolerant refuge that would also show the world how near an unworldly society could come to God's way. The aim was akin to New England's, though less shrill and apocalyptic. He prayed for God to bless his holy experiment, to make it the seed of a nation. Part of Penn's plan was to extend the hand of friendship to the natives of Pennsylvania, to include them in the circle of brotherhood and tolerance. Rather than seize their land forcibly and subject them as others had done, Penn offered the Indians a treaty and payment for their land. The famous painting of Penn signing the treaty under a broad elm tree appears in the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C. Though the incident is doubted by most contemporary historians, it reflects Penn's honorable intentions and the subsequent results of his holy experiment. The story may be seen as symbolic of the way he actually conducted his affairs with Native Americans. Roughly four weeks after Penn's arrival in the New World, he met a group of sachems, or Native American kings, under an elm tree at a place called Shackamaxon, where tribal meetings often took place. The chiefs were resplendent in ceremonial garb, composed of deerskin leggings, squirrel-lined mantles, and elaborate feather headdresses, or headbands made from snakeskin. To communicate his own rank, William Penn wore his sky-blue officer sash over his usual Quaker gray outfit. Flanking Penn were his deputy, a man history recalls simply as Markham, Thomas Holm, a surveyor, and several settlers. The sachem's delegation included about a hundred braves and the tribe's wisest men. Sitting in the center of a half-circle was the chief of the Unami tribe of the Delawares, Taminant, who clearly was in charge of the Native Americans of that area. He went on to become one of Penn's closest friends. To him, Penn spoke the word Ita, meaning, Good be to you. It was all the Delaware he knew. An interpreter conveyed Penn's message of goodwill. We are met on the broad pathway of good faith and goodwill, he said, so that all will be openness, brotherhood, and love. To facilitate positive relations between the English and the Indians, Penn told Taminant that the white men's doors always would be open to the Indians, and that if any disruptions occurred between them, a special committee of representatives from both groups would decide the outcome. I consider us all the same flesh and blood, joined by one heart, he concluded. The great sachem and his counselor spoke among themselves. Then Taminant got up and shook Penn's hand. As long as the sun and moon shone, he said, their people would live in a spirit of love and friendship. To seal their fellowship, Taminant gave Penn a special belt that portrayed them at that moment hand in hand. For Great Stories in American History, I'm Rebecca Price Janney.